Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and aesthetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor with over 16 years experience in facial aesthetics. And I'm David Siegel, an entrepreneur and business mentor with over 20 years of experience in our industry. Our podcasts are aimed at industry professionals and any information or advice given is general in nature. You should consult with a healthcare provider before undergoing any treatment. You can also subscribe to us on Patreon for on-demand content for injectable business education. Just before we get into the podcast, we just want to thank Antiage and the team in California for sponsoring this podcast. We really appreciate your partnership. Well, it's been a while since we've done a regenerative medicine podcast. Exciting. I'm excited. I know. It seems like this this is where we're going. I was just talking to you this morning at breakfast. I was having a chat with uh, some clients over in Europe last night and the amount of excitement and money that's being poured into the regenerative medicine industry and this union that we're starting to see unfold between aesthetics anti-aging, yeah. functional health. It's its a really exciting space. So I'm very excited about this chat. But before we jump in to that discussion today, what's happening with podcast? What's news? Podcast news. Well, firstly, this Friday, we're announcing our biggest ever competition, which is quite Ooh. exciting. By the time this is out, uh, we would have already announced it. So we're flying a winner all the way to Switzerland for yeah. the Inner Circle event held by Dr. Felix Bertram. Mm. Uh, we'll obviously give you a ticket to the event itself. There'll be a six-course dinner at his two-star Michelin restaurant. All of the social program, everything, that's all on Felix and us. Wow. So look at the bottom of our podcast description for the details of how to apply. Stephen, you're not allowed to apply, sadly. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, and, I know uh, him, though. Maybe I can get a... Yeah, um, maybe you could get a 51st you know, ticket, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, then in terms of our IA offers, I don't know if you guys know, we have offers from partners and sponsors. We've got two big ones to announce. Yeah, exciting stuff. So who are clinical imaging. Clinical Imaging is a company owned by Woodrow Wilson, not the former US president. Uh, he's a <laughs> photographer list, uh, located down in Melbourne, and he's essentially the go-to guy in our industry in Australia for clinical photography. So something that we speak about a lot in the podcast is the importance of clinical photography. Obviously, we've got some a lot of eyes looking on us at the moment in terms of the quality of photographs and doctoring images. And at the end of the day, I think it's been a, a portion of our space that's been overlooked, people mm. capturing photos on iPads and, and camera and, uh, Mobile devices, okay, but that's not really how you want to showcase your work. I mean, I see what you guys do, what guys and gals do as an art form, and so it should be captured in a high-quality way. And Woodrow's got an amazing system that he comes in and sets up a completely seamless uh, configuration within your clinic to make capturing your clinical images fantastic. And we've actually just partnered with him. Yes. So uh, all the Im uh, information, of course, is down below. But if you go to our IA offers link and then quote the code IA10 when you connect with clinical imaging, when you first contact them, you'll get 10% off any of their photography packages, which is pretty good. It's 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 an investment for sure, but it's, it's worth it. I know Stephen's got clinical imaging in his clinics. I've got it in my clinic. It's fantastic. If I had a clinic, I would have it. Yeah. But also <laughs> to showcase some of the skincare results yeah. that we're going to be talking about. I think high quality high-resolution photography can't really be ignored. Yeah. Um, so that's one of our offers. The other offer, this is more specific for Australian listeners, we've partnered with a company called Film, that's P-H-I-L-M. Yeah. They are a creative agency that are amazing with, uh, obviously, photography, but also um, moving imagery and videography. Yeah. So if you want to capture some headshots or, you know, clinical imagery or do something with your team or anything for branding and marketing, yeah. I think so socials should, as well. I yeah, mean, yeah. Social so, true. Again, I mean, so Woodrow's obviously taking care of the clinical imaging relating to, to patient results and film, take photos of your clinic, your staff, video content for social media. Actually, um, he was at uh, your conference, Stephen, A23. 
he was there. So yeah, small world. Scott Eller is the name yes. of the photographer who set up the company. Anyway, same offer again, IA10. If you contact film, uh, information is down below. You get 10% off any photo shoot, including team photos, headshots, etc. And quick Patreon. What's happening this week? Oh, what's happening this week? There's lots. Um, I actually had someone shadowing me in my clinic yesterday, one of our Patreons. So we captured some content uh, awesome. about ultrasound, looking in her face, talking about um, safety when you know performing injections, obviously. Uh, we spoke a little bit about anatomy and so on. So we've captured some content for our Patreon. Yeah, there. and I did another maximizing retail sales opportunities with Cassandra Smith. So last week I put up a... a um, well, we were... We, showcase one of my clients from from Mudgee in Australia and going around her clinic and looking how she's got it set up in terms of maximizing it to take your patient on a journey, how to showcase and sell retail products within your clinic. And I did another one with Cassandra this week with one of my clients from Melbourne. So exciting stuff. It's actually quite visual. You get taken around the clinic, shown what should move, what's what where's the patient, sorry, where's the patient's eye drawn, mm. how to showcase particular products that you want uh, highlighted within your space. And it's something that I guess as business owners and clinicians, it's something we don't really think about. No. So yeah, interesting stuff. Fantastic. Well, that's the news out yes. of the way. Let's introduce our special guests. We've got all the way from California, Ian Sanderson, president of a new company called Antiage. Uh, we'll get on to who Antiage in a sec. And then we've got our friend, Dr. Stephen Liu, been on the podcast several times before, plastic surgeon from Sydney. So Ian, let's come to you first. Do you want to introduce yourself, tell everyone about your company, what you do and you know your product range, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, so yeah, I'm Ian Sanderson. I'm the president of Antiage, and we're we're new to Australia. Uh, we've been there for a year or so, uh, but we've been uh, making growth factor based products, uh, stem cell based products in the U.S. for about 13 years now. Right. Uh, so we we've been around for a little while, working on the the science and the product development side. Um, so yeah, we're we're in many thousands of clinics in the U.S. We're in Middle East, Europe, Southeast Asia, and now we're in Australia as well. Fantastic. And your role as president, like when, where did you join the company? Did you found the company? What's your role now? And uh, yeah, just tell us about your background, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I did help co-found the company 13 years ago. Uh, so my, my father is a doctor scientist who really fell in love with uh, what bone marrow stem cells could do regeneratively uh, in the body and uh, decided to explore how that could be applied to cosmeceuticals, skincare, things like that. So it started with some newer science around bone marrow stem cells about 13 years ago. Um, and so he asked me to come along as kind of the business end uh, and to help support the commercial side. Uh, so that was 13 years ago. I've been the president of the company, I think, for eight years now. Um, and it's been, it's been a really fun, exciting, wild ride. My background is business. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily medicine and science, but the last decade or so I've, I've picked up a lot of that and just try and learn as much as I can from brilliant doctors like Dr. Lou and, and all the doctors that I, I work with at Antioch. And how did your dad get involved with playing around with bone marrow stem cells? What, what was his background? So, so he, he uh, as I said, he's a doctor scientist. He was actually a medical director at Johnson & Johnson, uh, looking into regenerative medicine at J&J. Um, but this particular track uh, wasn't interesting to J&J, and he got really excited about bone marrow stem cells, their regenerative ability. There was a lot of science being done actually here in California uh, in the UC system, lots of papers being published. So he, he just couldn't let it go uh, and decided to start a company to commercialize uh, products that would take advantage of the new science. Fantastic. Yep. 
Stephen, I know you've been on the podcast, as Jake mentioned many times before, but just to give people who maybe haven't tuned into your previous episodes, just give us a little bit about your background, who you are, and particularly your interest in regenerative medicine. You're sort of always on the cutting edge of what's new. So keen to hear about that as well. Hi, guys. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, hi, Ian. Uh, I'm a specialist plastic surgeon based in Sydney. My interest in surgery is in the aesthetic surgery of the face and breast, and I also have a keen interest in the non-surgical world. My interest in, in I guess, um, regenerative medicine probably stem from probably about 30, 40 years ago when we start talking about intrauterine fetal repair, when, when it was the first successful, there was a really true scarlet surgery. And that interests me because as an aesthetic plastic surgeon, most important thing is you want the patient, when you do some surgery, you want them to have a scar that is not noticeable. And how good will it be if we can truly do it with no scar? Now, clearly, we're not there yet. Now, clearly, anything in adult, whenever there is a repair of any wound, is going to be a scar. So whenever there's a regenerative ability, hopefully we can minimize the scar. And that's why we're here today talking about how we can minimize it. Fantastic. Now, um, what do we mean by regenerative medicine, Stephen? Like, what, 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 what does that concept mean to you? Because there, there's a lot of things being thrown around, spoken about. I'm sure you've tried some of these in the past. Many things promised the world and, and some didn't deliver. So what do we actually mean by it? I think it means a lot of things. It, it, it generally means you are able to supercharge that environment. And I think it has to be the extracellular matrix where there's so many components of cytokine, any signaling, intercellular communication, to be able to generate the best environment to lay down collagen in a lasting, in a regenerative manner, rather than going through the inflammatory process. And I think that's what I mentioned. Inflammatory process result in repaired, regenerative process involve, well, it results in something that looks very natural. So a young baby has a beautiful layer of collagen, whereas an adult, the collagen bundle are very, very different. So we know that the power of stem cell, we know the power of fat grafting and all this stuff. And I think that's why we're exciting when exosome came out. You know, Ian's going to enrich us about exosome for me. There's multiple definitions. <laughs> for me, it's almost like me sending you a check. You know, a text. Inside that text is a different content. And that's why it's so exciting. And then you, you know, I'll give you an instruction through text. You just go and carry out what that instruction is. That's how my simple understanding of what exosome means. But I'm sure Ian is going to uh, enrich us on that. I got one more question for you, Stephen. What term do we use for this kind of stuff? Is it pro-aging? Is it anti-aging? Is it, what is it? It gets a bit controversial. Some people don't like some of these terms. So what do you use? Listen, aging process is a bitch. Okay, <laughs> let's face it. There's no such thing as growing old gracefully. I think we're just going to keep with ourselves. I never believe in pro-aging. I think if we're going to do something, we're going to really, really, you know, treat aging process as a disease. Because, you know, every time we talk about anti-aging, people think about just our appearance. Well, that's important. 
But aging process involves degenerative of every single organs in our body, our brain and everything. So I think, you know, if we embrace aging, it means that all of us are going to end up demented. All of us are going to end up with urinary incontinence. I certainly don't want that. I'm sure none of us in this. So I think we should actively, aggressively deal with it. Yeah. That's my standard. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're sort of seeing this collision course, which has arrived, where patients have started to, uh, patients and clinicians have actually started to pull back, I guess, from over-exaggerated aesthetic outcomes and patients becoming more, I guess, empowered with, with how they want to look and what sort of aesthetic they want. And then this regenerative sort of leap forward that we've had where these products are now available, where, you know, people are thinking about biostimulation, anti-aging from, you know, a cellular perspective. So it's really interesting the timing on how these things have sort of started to collide at the same time. Mm. Um, and if you could just maybe take us back, like, you know, let's let's sort of look at this from, from a thousand feet in the air. We've been hearing about stem cells for the last, you know, 10, 20, 30 years about, you know, this, this is the holy grail. This is what's coming. It's going to be amazing. It's going to change the way that, you know, that we, that we look at um, the human body and what's possible. And there's been a lot of issues with, you know, ethics and, you know, how do we tell these, stop these stem cells from sort of multi, you know, to switch them off once they start doing what they're doing. So where are we at in terms of stem cell technology and sort of where do, where do your products kind of sit um, in, in sort of the offering and, and how we're going to deliver this to, to, to the masses? Absolutely. I love that question. So there is so much promise in what stem cells can do, right? They're really powerful cells. Um, and the, the kind of stem cell that we look at and we can harness to deliver benefits is this bone marrow stem cell. We actually now use some other stem cells like umbilical, but technology is around the bone marrow stem cell. But we, we can't ethically give you a live bone marrow stem cell from another person with another person's DNA and say, okay, we're just going to, we're going to, you know, surgically implant this live stem cell into you. Um, that's, that's not something that, you know, any, any Western country allows. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it's, it's also, we, we think it's just, uh, it's, it's suspect. Um, but the power of what that stem cell would do in you, hopefully in a best case scenario, is deliver these biosignals, these cytokines, these growth factors, these exosomes, and those proteins can be isolated and those are not unique to any one individual. They're, they, they are a common language that our cells use to communicate. And so Dr. Liu's exosomes can talk to my cells and I don't need his stem cells, right? Uh, and I don't necessarily need a stem cell from a baby. I can take a stem cell from a healthy young adult, and I can get those those growth factors and those exosomes that actually speak to adult cells. And that's actually something that's important in regeneration of the adult skin is that we actually want we want adult communication because sometimes fetal communication is good, like with scars, for instance, there's some, some really good anti-scarring uh, communication that happens there. But for the most part, we actually want, we want adult feeling and regeneration. And so that's why we use these adult, you know, 18 to 20 year old adult bone marrow stem cells. So that, that's kind of the, the, the magic and the power that we harnessed 13 years ago is taking these uh, these exogenous growth factors uh, from a stem cell condition media and using them in skincare products that people can use daily, 
using them in treatment products that can be combined with microneedling and RF and laser. And the whole idea is to harness the signals, uh, as Dr. Liu said, those text messages to get the signals, but we don't need the whole cell. And that's that's really, I think, the, the core technology that we're still excited about. Now, we do new things today with exosomes and whatnot, but it's all part of the same magic of taking those really smart signals for anti-aging from a stem cell, but delivering them without a cell involved. Right. Um, can you just sort of break down some of the technical terms? I know that some of us are listening to this will be educated in this space, but many aren't. So when you say cytokines, stem cells, exosomes, I think there was another technical term that you threw in there as well. So can you just give us some some basic definitions about what all these different names mean and how sort of and how you're using Absolutely. them? Yeah. So the stem cell, of course, is is it's a, a cell that is a progenitor cell that could become different kinds of cells. Uh, but our, our bone marrow stem cells in particular are really cool because they, uh, they actually live in our bone marrow, they travel throughout the body, and they are the natural stem cell that is responsible for adult healing in most tissues. So that's, that's our stem cell. It's like a really, really smart little mobile brain that goes wrong and, and heals, and it heals using cytokines and growth factors. So cytokine is just a cell signal. Uh, so a cell signal could be a growth factor. It could be other types of signals. So cytokine is just like a, a higher level term. A growth factor is kind of the most common signal type that is going to be orchestrating different processes in, uh, in our tissue and in particular our skin. So there's growth factors that are really well characterized, really understood, like VEGF, vascular endothelial growth factor. VEGF is responsible for making sure that we've got the right blood flowing to the right tissue areas, and that's especially important for hair. Uh, when we lose hair, a lot of times it's because uh, we have a lack of blood flow, lack of nutrients. So VEGF is actually the most important growth factor that regulates the, the process of growing hair. Uh, but then we have things like TGF-beta-3, which is the scarless wound healing growth factor. And so this TGF-beta-3 is what is most indicated with scarless healing uh, when, we, when we study what growth factors do and what their, their role is. So again, these growth factors, these proteins, they're chains of amino acids that are signals that our cells recognize. They take those signals in and they change their behavior based on receiving these signals. So this is a whole class of ingredient that can be used in cosmeceuticals. And this is very different from something like a vitamin C, right? Vitamin C is going to have a stimulatory effect on the body, but it's not necessarily, uh, it's not a cell signal in, in the same way. It's more changing the environment that the cells will respond to. These, these proteins, these growth factors are actually the exact signals that a cell is looking to receive. And so it triggers a very specific cascade of action within the skin. Right. Thank you. A um, couple more questions. I hope you don't mind. Yeah, um, so when you've got stem cells, they can come from different sources. So you're talking about bone marrow, bone marrow stem cells. You've got umbilical stem cells. Um, there was uh, stem cells in adipose tissue as well. Um, and then I've heard about things like mesenchymal stem cells. I remember listening to a Joe Rick, Ro Rogan episode a couple of years ago about a clinic down in Panama all the athletes like Kobe Bryant and all these uh, high-profile athletes were going down there and getting these treatments for horrific career-ending uh, injuries potentially. So where does the bone marrow fit into all the different sources and, and why have you chosen that one as opposed to the different places where you could source stem cells from? Yeah, absolutely. So bone marrow stem cells actually are mesenchymal stem right, cells. Okay. So that's it, it fits, fits into right. that class. So it's the, the same thing. Right. Um, 
we we can get uh, we can get cells from uh, from the umbilical cord from the placenta. Um, we can and, and you can actually get mesenchymal stem cells from that source right. as well. Uh, you can get stem cells even from the blood. You can get stem cells uh, from many different tissue types. Most of our tissue types have specific niches of stem cells. But when we look at the immune system and the system that is most responsible for regeneration, well, wh- where does our, our immune system in our blood come from? It comes from within our bone marrow, and it's actually these bone marrow mesenchymal stem cells that are the most potent uh, kind of generators of regenerative uh, growth factors. So that's why we really like that cell type. And you can go look up thousands and thousands of papers that have been published in universities on bone marrow stem cells. Um, they're very hard to work with. Uh, that's why it's a lot easier to work with adipose-derived, with fat-derived. Um, you know, Fat-derived are very abundant, but they have a different profile. So when you culture fat cells, they're going to produce a different set of signals. And we just really like for everything for aesthetics, for everything for that regenerative ability, we really like what bone marrow does uh, in terms of that signal profile. So again, they're all text messages, but what what is actually being described in the text message from these bone marrow stem cells is really ideal for aesthetics, whether it's pairing with lasers, microneedling, skin rejuvenation, hair rejuvenation. We really like what we can do with the bone marrow. Stephen, I've often heard you say on stage, I'm just a simple surgeon. I don't understand a lot of these technical terms. So how, how would you sort of summarize what, what Ian's just said? And, and I guess, how is that practical to, to you as a surgeon, as well as an injector? Well, first of all, I think, um, you know, as I said, I'm still a very simple um, <laughs> plastic surgeon. And what Ian has just described in, in an eloquent manner is, it's almost like you have a bot that sent a million text messages to you today. And each of that text messages are, are instructing each part of your cellular component to do slightly different things. Mm-hmm. That's probably what exosome is doing. You know, it's still in its infancy and no one can claim we fully understand all these growth factors. And, and Ian mentioned a few of the one that is crucial. We need blood. We need abundant blood supply. Uh, we also need, you know, to talk about how wound healing can happen. And those are crucial in what I do. And if you have all this signaling coming in to try to orchestrate something that is so complex that none of us fully understand, and I think that is a good start. And, and I'm sure that Ian will also agree that none of us has actually you know, be able to actually decipher what really truly going on at the moment. And yeah. at least it's a good start. Fair enough. Um, Ian, I don't know if I missed it, but did you also define exosome as opposed to a growth factor? I'm not sure if we covered that. Yeah, let's let's get into that. I, I think that that's, uh, that's the hottest topic in certainly in regenerative aesthetics right now is exosomes. And, uh, you know, exosomes come from the same stem cells that we grow in our lab here in California. Um, I'm actually about 20 feet away from the lab where we grow these stem cells. Uh, And these stem cells will produce growth factors. They'll produce exosomes. Um, But for a long time, those exosomes are very difficult to preserve and actually get from my lab here to the patient, right? So uh, this is our treatment solution, our growth factor solution that's been around for 10 years now. Um, And in this vial, this 2ML vial is our stem cell condition media. So it has growth factors. It also has exosomes, but 
we're not, we weren't before able to preserve those exosomes. So let me define what an exosome is. Uh, an exosome is part of, of the way that a stem cell will communicate. And it's a fat bubble. It's a sphere. Uh, it has a phospholipid bilayer. And it's almost like a miniature cell. So the, the, the stem cell actually sheds a little bit of itself. And it creates this little bubble out of its, out of its uh, phospholipid bilayer. And it puts inside of it all these really, really important smart signals, including microRNAs and growth factors and cytokines. And what it's able to do then is it's able to send that bubble directly inside of another cell. So I like to define this as a high signal-to-noise ratio. So if you think about tuning a radio, you know, old radio, maybe you're on the AM spectrum and it's really fuzzy, uh, and you've got a lot of kind of static, right? Well, if you're just sending stem cell condition media out, you're going to hear something, but you're also going to get a lot of static in there. If you're able to isolate the strongest fraction of what that cell is communicating, that's what this is. This is our exosome solution. And so this is a preserved, concentrated, just the most concentrated signal that we get out of that bone marrow stem cell. That's what an exosome is. So anyway, it's it's these bubbles that are full of hyper-concentrated signals, and that gets you kind of more to digital, right? So as opposed to tuning that AM radio with some static, we get to a digital station, and we don't have any static anymore. And that's really the, the transition that the, the whole industry of regenerative aesthetics is going through right now, is getting the right signal from the right source, putting it in a preserved exosome so that you get rid of the static. And in that way, you really get hopefully the most ideal outcome for the patient, you know, whether whether we're doing a chemical peel or we're doing plastic surgery or we're doing microneedling or laser, we want to give the very best signals from the best source for the best outcome uh, with minimal noise. And that's that's where we get with exosomes. See, if you think about it, this is a leap forward. Think about in that horrendous two years when we all got locked down. Think about the vaccine, the messenger RNA vaccine. Did you think that was so smart? You're able to get into the human cell with that parcel of information, that messenger RNA, to create that antibody for a specific virus. And that's how, you know, in, in a simplistic way, I think about this thing in a vial. You're just sending that information to our existing body and say, hey, do this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think it's 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 important to also note that what we're doing is we're concentrating the body's own natural, healthy, young signals. So we're not we're we're not doing any any uh any creation of new proteins here. We're actually just taking the proteins that the body produces in high levels when we're young. And we all know that when we're 18, we look pretty good. You know, our skin looks pretty good in general. Maybe, you know, we're just getting past uh, the acne phase. Uh, but in general, we have healthy skin that heals. You know, if you get a cut, a wound, it heals really nicely. That's what we're trying to do with antiage. And, you know, antiage, A-N-T-E, uh, we, we kind of talked at the beginning about, you know, is it pro-aging, anti-aging? Well, we're anti-aging. We're really just trying to get you back to where you were before your skin started aging. So that, that's our whole philosophy at Antioge. Just, just to get you back to that point when you were 18, 20 years old and your skin was really in ideal shape. That's what we want to do. Okay. All right. And so where do you actually get these stem cells from? So you have a, a stem cell bank. 
how, like how what's the sort of production like? Is there a sort of a, a limitation on how often you can reuse this this source to, to sort of derive stem cells from it? On the technical side, we we do we have uh, billions and billions of young bone marrow stem cells in our lab here. Uh, and so we go through multiple cell cycles and they get to a point where they're no longer useful. They're discarded. And then we start fresh with, with, uh, new cells, but we have plenty of those banked here. They, they do come from young consenting paid donors, uh, from a stem cell bank here in the U S. Um, and they're all very well characterized. Um, we go through, I mean, we've been around for like 13 years now. So we have gone through an enormous amount of, uh, quality and safety testing here. We have genotoxicity testing, cytotoxicity testing. So we can go into all that if you guys want at some point, but we've been doing this a, a long time and characterizing each protein that comes from each particular type of cell. Um, and so, yeah, the, the production process here with the, the natural, uh, growth factor and exosome products uh, starts with those those stem cells that are really well characterized from young, healthy bone marrow. Um, and then I can also talk about, we, we also do quite a bit of synthetic work now where we can actually get the exact human proteins, but we can get them from a synthetic source, from a recombinant source. Mm. And so we don't necessarily even need a human stem cell to be involved in that side of the process. And there's places like Europe and certain parts of Asia where that's the only thing that can be used, uh, but we get great results out of that as well. Um, silly questions with my, my non-medical brain sort of uh, whizzing away here in the background. So you're talking about the fact that you wanted adult stem cells rather than sort of child or young stem cells from a baby because the adult body is different. So is there any issues or limitations with different ethnicities? Because obviously we're all humans, but we come from different parts of the world and have nuances but you know, between the way we look and the way our bodies function slightly. So is there any any limitations there in terms of ethnicities and where you derive these stem cells from and, and who they're appropriate for? In, in terms of ethnicities, we don't see uh, any different in, you know, if it's homo sapiens sapiens, our mesenchymal stem cells from bone marrow produce this, the same the same kind of signals. In fact, actually, even between mammals, there's a lot of uh, conservation of these cellular pathways. So monkeys have TGF-beta-3 as well. However, it is a little bit different. And so if, if you actually get to a different species, the morphology of those proteins, even though it's basically the same thing, it looks a little bit different. And so there, there's a lot of products that will you know, have exosomes that arrive from plants or animals or fish or something like this. And while, while all those things have exosomes, and sometimes there's even conservation of the signals, it's not exactly the same thing. So you really, for, for the ideal result, for the predictable result, you want young, healthy, let's say 18 to 20 year old, homo sapiens sapiens cell signals, that's going to give you the best result. Um, I've got two questions from our listeners because they're relevant to ask now before I forget them. So this is from Elise Sabah. She's in Australia. What's the difference uh, in the RNA available in each exosome? And I'm assuming different brands have different RNA sources or, or um, stem cell sources. Uh, and so, for example, are these not good for vegan patients, for example? Uh, and what about other brands where there's, I know there's a skincare brand called Calisim, I think here, at least in Australia, it actually has stem cells sourced from deer. So how does all this stuff sort of work? And, and, and you know, I'm not a plant, so should I be getting plant-derived exosomes? <laughs> So I'll, I'll tell you where the, where the science is. And we're, we're very much a, a, a science-backed 
science obsessed company. So we really do a, do quite a bit of research. In fact, we actually have a, a research partnership with the University of Melbourne there in Australia. We do a lot of research there and support a PhD program there. Um, so the science says that plant stem cells and plant exosomes don't talk to human cells. Um, so in the same way that you know vitamin C might have some some benefits, uh, well, you know, maybe some of these plant-derived ingredients could have some, some benefits for stimulating the environment in some way, but the cell signals aren't the same. So we're, we're not speaking the same language. When it comes to animals, as I said, man, there, there are uh, signals that are conserved that are, that are similar between, uh, for instance, deer and humans, but it's not one-to-one. It's not exact. Uh, and so the, the farther away you get from being human, the more those signals are going to be garbled, uh, you know, by, by the distance between us genetically. Uh, and therefore, you know, we would say that animals, you know, uh, stem cell signals, exosomes, uh, just aren't the best choice, right? There, there's going to be more noise and less signal there. So we really believe that ethical, safe, human signals are exactly what we need and want when we're trying to get this optimal regenerative benefit in the skin. Mm. Stephen, where do you see exosomes fitting into, I guess, the, 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 the menu of treatments we've now got available in our clinics? We've had so many products that have come onto the marketplace, biostimulators, bioremodelers, you know, PRP has been around for a while, but it seems to be regaining some popularity and we're refining the technique and how we capture, capture the, 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 the PRP and inject it. Where do you see this fitting in and, and sort of how are you as a, as a owner of a, you know, a large practice in the aesthetic space? How are you going to, I guess, communicate this to your patients and your practitioners? I'm, I'm just keen to know where, where this sits in the menu. Very good question. I don't think I have the answer for that. Um, I'm just going to share with your, you and your audience where I, I, I use it routinely. I use it on every facelift patients. I use it on every facelift patient. After I finish the last suture, I would actually infuse, I would stamp the, the exosome throughout the entire face, including the suture line, for the main purpose of hopefully some sort of regeneration, improve wound healing. So I don't have evidence to prove that it works because you have to do multiple randomized control style. And I think it's a bit unethical to do it half face on my patient. So I do it on every patient. What I can tell you is like every facelift, there will be some patient where certain part of the face, because you actually lift up the face, where the perfusion, the blood supply may not necessarily ideal in the first few days. There has been a few cases where you look at it and you say, well, mm, maybe I need hyperbaric oxygen just to save that part of the skin. And we have been using, at least on three cases, stem cell on about day three or day four, just to infuse it with a bit of stamping in there. And, and at this stage, you know, in the last, what we've been using for about seven months now, I have to say it has been very, very promising. We have not lost any skin. We managed to salvage area that I thought, well, okay, I'm going to lose a little bit of skin here. So that's been very, very promising. Clearly, that's anecdotal. We don't have any you know, ways to prove it, but I think times will tell. As to a pure aesthetic patient, and I think that's going to be a lot harder to actually prove, but what we can say is in some patient where we routinely, let's say, do some mesotherapy, 
just to improve their skin quality a bit, where there are situations where we really need to get them very, very well quickly. Let's say there is a you know, mother of the bride needs to get that skin really well in four weeks' time. We have seen, once again, anecdotally, adding exosome with our current regime really give them a very nice, glowing, smoother skin. So the jury's still out, but it is very, very well received to our patient who's been getting it. Because it's easy. It's easy to do. So, you know, surgery, that's understandable. But for your aesthetic patients, do you mean sort of post-laser? When are you actually applying exosomes? Yeah. So we, 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 we don't just apply onto the skin. We do a bit of needling mm-hmm. because this is after all topical application and just apply onto it and massage into the skin. Now, we, we have not tried it on, at least I'm not aware we've tried it on post-laser patient yet. But once again, with a post-laser, you should be doing a split phase using your routine topical post-laser versus exosome, and that will be the next stage we'll be looking into. Yes, and I guess... Because it makes sense. Yeah, you know, we're injectors. We were just a a polynucleotide launch last week. So again, there's many modalities and things that we can sort of throw, and I I guess we're trying to see what sticks in a way. So do you have any sort of uh, algorithm in your head of where you might use one, where you might use exosomes? Like, Why would you choose one over the other? Well, I think I think it boils down to a cost, boils down to what the patient is comfortable with. So we know that on one side, the the polynucleotide that we talk about is a salmon base, and this is a human base. Whenever we talk of human, there will still be a subgroup of individuals who say, "Well, is it safe?" Mm. And Ian has has kindly alluded to us that you know this has come from a bank that has been clearly been screened and the processing and all this stuff. So so that's the exciting bit. But the human factor, you still need a full patient consent before they are, you know, they're comfortable getting it. So the jury's still out. Uh, I don't have the answer. I don't have a true algorithm of how we're going to do it and how, you know, who are the right patient. And hopefully, um, you know, with further knowledge and with input from various companies like Ian, we'll be able to come to a consensus. Because like everything, this is still fairly new. This is a very, very new field and everyone just throw everything in, like everything. So I think at some stage, someone smart will come out to be, hey, this is where I use it and these are the reasons why. Yeah, I want to ask David a question. No. So for the, from the lay perspective, when we're talking about stuff like stem cells and MRA technology, do, does that give you any fear any sort of uh, ethical concerns or is it just something that you would accept me me personally yeah oh i mean i'm always of the opinion i I don't want to be the first (laughs) (laughs) i want to i want to see how things settle how the market responds to them you know what sort of complications or adverse events sort of bear out and and why did that happen and and what are the patterns and you know what level of success I, i think that um, any educated patient would be excited, but also cautious around new technologies and and what are the long term results and complications potentially going to be? Yeah, fair. Yeah. How would you counter that, Ian? I mean, do do you get pushback? Patients a bit fearful, ang- anxious. You know, they've heard about vaccines, etc., and MRA technology. So, how do you sort of counter that and explain it to people? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've I've been in this 
stem cell product space for 13 years now. So d- definitely in the early days, uh, you know, it was there was a lot more conversation. I would say that now, at least in the US, and I, I've been to Australia and I've spoken to practitioners there as well. These these growth factor products that I've had in the market for a decade um, are are pretty well accepted now. Most people aren't scared of growth factors. Um, you know, that's oh yeah, growth factors. That's been around forever. That's safe. We get it. Um, but you know, now we have these new exosomes. This is the new thing. Um, but exosomes, it's just a derivative of growth factors. It's just another way of delivering growth factors. As I said, it's it's higher signal to noise. Um, but this this is where people are having conversation because it's it's a newer thing. Um, you know, these products have been around now for a few years. Uh, this product actually we launched two years ago in Dubai. Uh, did our initial uh, kind of beta testing there, and it's been in the U.S. for a year now. So, you know, I've got many thousands of practices that are using this in the U.S. on you know well over a hundred thousand patients. The results are universally very, very positive. No adverse. Uh, you know, definitely less adverse than you would see with a lot of uh, I would say more classic cosmeceutical products uh, b- because they're so biocompatible, they're so bio-native. We're just concentrating the good things that are floating around in healthy tissue. Yeah. Uh, so for that reason, you know, I, I, I really, I can stand behind the products really strongly and I can tell practitioners, look, believe me or don't, you test the products out, give, give them a try. And I know you're going to use them and love them. And, you know, that's, that's what we did with, with Dr. Liu said, Hey, would you like to try this? Uh, and he's finding you know good applications in his practice, and that's just pretty universally the case. Uh, just yesterday, I had a call with a, a group of med spas in the U.S. that has thirty locations. Uh, they've been using our products for a little over a year now, and they said, "Look, every time we add a new location, a new practitioner, it's so easy for us to get them onto Antiage. They use the products; they work really well. Their patients are happy. It's kind of simple." So. Again, you know, I think we can answer that, you know, that kind of fear question. Oh, you know, is is this safe? Is this humane? We really have all, you know, if you want the white papers, if you want the genotoxicity studies, we can give you all that kind of level of comfort. But ultimately, we've been around for 13 years and the results are really good. And that's that's I think what kind of gets people over that hump of like, okay, I'm the the, the results are good. Hundreds of thousands of people have used this over decades. It's gotta be good stuff. Steven. Dr. Liu. I think I, I think Ian forgot to mention the thing that attracted me is it's actually 10 billion exosomes in this tiny little vial that right. I mean, if you look at it, it's you know, it's nothing remarkable. It's almost like the back of a uh, anti-wrinkles, mm. where it's like for, I can't pronounce the word Ian, you could have started with an L lyophilized. <laughs> um lies, yeah. Ten billion exosome in this thing. It's almost like you're receiving ten billion text messages to various part of your cells, each doing a different parts. I think that's important to know. I think I also want to clarify to your audience: when I use the analogy of vaccine, as Ian kindly, we're not producing a new protein. We're not asking your body to create something that's foreign. We're asking your body to create something that they normally create, but create a lot more to actually achieve that, you know, a better quality skin or better wound for wound healing and those sort of things. That's important to know. And the third thing is to answer your question, David, is I don't see myself as someone that who want to be the first in everything. And and I think with exosome, as I said, it's, it's not an overnight 
thing. I've been thinking about it for more than 30 years of, of when that opportunity come along. And yes, there are a lot of exosome out there. There are plant-based exosome and all this stuff. And for me, it's always been, you've got to have something like with life. We are homo sapiens, right? If we can get something that is almost identical with what our body is, is composed of, that has to be the first requirement. So now that we have overcome the issue, what I'm looking forward to is more of a synthetic exosome so that we can overcome the legislation that we can't actually use human body. Because I'm looking forward, the next step is basically injecting it into the tissue with a synthetic. And that, I think, will actually get a much, much better result. Don't also forget that plant-based stem cell skincare has been around for 15, 20 years, right? I've used, I remember 20 years ago, I thought it's pretty good. It come from Apple. I've been <laughs> buying it. It cost me 500 bucks. You yeah. know, I mean, thinking back, that's quite a naive thinking. Yeah. You know, it's an Apple. We're not made of Apple the last time I looked. Last yeah. time I looked, just like you, when I cut myself, it bleed. So, you know, so mm. I think we advance forward. And that's, that's always been my thinking. Um, so, you know, uh, in summarizing, so far, none of the patient from the aesthetic has actually said it didn't work. It's always been an extremely positive response. So mm. it's one of those things, you know, if it is not, if you've done all the due diligence, I know it's safe. It's not going to create any harm. I'm going to try it. Yeah. And we did. And just to remind the listeners, every day you're injecting bacterial toxins. If you're dissolving fillers, you're using, at least in Australia, sheep-derived enzymes from testicles. And uh, if you're injecting HA filler, it's bacterial fermented sourced hyaluronic acid. So mm. it's a little bit silly to to get funny about one thing and be comfortable with another when, yeah. when you think of it mm. like that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Ian, when you are doing your trials and you're talking about results, what are the indications? What are you actually seeing when you're doing these trials on these patients? And I want to get Stephen's perspective as well. I know you've been talking about the results from facelift patients, but from your average aesthetic patient, what are you noticing? Just just walk us through the process of, of what the patient experience is like and what kind of results you're seeing, how long it takes, how long it lasts, just the sort of general application questions. So, so my typical aesthetic patients that, you know, we want to improve their skin, the appearance of the skin, they will see one of my staff, Nikki. Uh, Nikki will do the usual cleaning and then, you know, will infuse some of the stuff, whether it's HA or anything like that, through um, after needling. In some patients who can actually don't, you know, would not mind paying a bit more and have a deadline, and we will do also infuse the exosome in there. And what we see at three or four weeks coming back, they have this amazing smoothing, glowing effect, which we did not see with our current regime, right? So I'm not saying it definitely worked. It could be this particular patient just works so well with the current regime, which is not seeing it. But this is a very consistent thing. It's almost like, you know, being someone that who's actually very critical and I, would, I don't give a lot of compliment and I'll say, wow, pretty good, right? So those are the things that we are seeing. So hopefully we can actually present a series to the audience, you know, in the coming months of what we're seeing. I'm guessing in a clinic like yours, Stephen, you've obviously 
well, probably done clinical photography, but have you also done anything like Vizier? Can you actually look at some parameters? So so we have 3Ds and we don't have Vizier because it's broken. But with our, our, I like photography and the lens that I have costs a lot more, costs about $5,000. So I can actually zoom in to just one square to actually have a look at that. And then with the Lightroom thing, we can actually look at the melanin, look at the vascularity, look at the pore size. So that's actually been very, very impressive. Ian, did you want to sort of address that same question as well from, from, your, from your perspective? Yeah. So, you know, I see uh, doctors using these products primarily with modalities like microneedling and RF microneedling. That, that seems to be the, the most common. And, you know, what, what are you trying to do with those modalities? You're trying to rejuvenate tissue. You're trying to get new collagen growth. Um, and so in using these, uh, these biosignals, growth factors, exosomes, you're, you're going to enhance the results of those particular treatments. Um, what, what Dr. Lou said about this kind of healthy glow where the skin just looks good, um, it, it's almost, it's just this intuitive thing where, uh, you know, the, the skin color looks smooth and even, it's healthy, it's, it's got glow, luminosity. Those are the kinds of effects that we, we tend to see. And, you know, that's what you're trying to do with the treatment, but you're really, you're, you're putting fertilizer on it when you're putting these, these growth factors and exosomes on. You're just going to get a much better result, better than you could get with the treatment alone or with using a more basic topical. Um, I still want to fully understand the difference between your skincare, which has growth factors and your obviously application of exosomes. They're different. So what is the protocol? Like how many exosome type treatments would you do post needling versus what's the protocol at home for the skincare? Yeah. So we actually started with skincare. So 10 plus years ago, we started with our serum and accelerator skincare. So this is really like a complete anti-aging regimen that has all of the classical actives plus the growth factors. Um, so that that alone is going to give you a you know really great anti-aging benefit at home. Uh, and we like seeing that in between in-office treatments. And we all know that you're, you're going to get the most amount of change, the most bang for your buck when we're doing in-office treatments that are a little bit more aggressive, you know, maybe something non-surgical like an RF microneedling. Um, so then we have we have actually various treatment products that are growth factor based that are for for that, for microneedling, for RF microneedling. So you can use these growth factors at home. You can use them in the treatment room. And then the exosomes is just a more concentrated and aggressive way to deliver those growth factors. Um, so so that's, that's kind of where the growth factors fit in. And now we're actually in process of uh, putting our engineered exosome. So we, uh, Dr. Liu kind of alluded to what, what's in our R&D pipeline, having synthetic human exosomes. Um, and six months from now, you know, you'll, you'll see all of our home care products actually have those synthetic exosomes in them as well, because they, they have to be really carefully engineered to stay preserved at room temperature. Um, that's a really good trick. Uh, and so that's something that we've developed in our lab as well as the ability to have uh, synthetic exosomes preserved at room temperature that you can have in a home care product. And that's only going to complement the highly concentrated products that you're using in office. Whether they're synthetic or human derived, uh, you're, you're getting a lot more concentrated effect uh, and more purity with the products that are being used in the treatment room. Okay. And if you have a patient who say is, have a particular complaint like pigmentation or rosacea or whatever, do you have a particular um, exosome or a particular growth factor sort of packet that targets that or is it just a generic blend 
Yeah, we, we, we do. So the biosignals tend to be uh, kind of the, the same, like let's say if we're treating pigmentation. Um, however, we can bring other really good actives in combination. So, you know, what, when we have pigmentation issues, they tend to be driven by inflammation, right? So growth factors can address that. But then why not also use tranexamic acid? Tranexamic acid is this great, also anti-inflammatory ingredient that can help regulate pigmentation. And there's other aspects of the, the tyrosine pathway way that we can short circuit to ultimately come to a, a blended topical that has growth factors, that has exosomes, uh, and then it has all those other really good actives in, in an easy to use treatment that can be used in clinic. So, so yeah, that's our, our brightening solution. Um, hair is kind of a more complex story, but we also have uh, products that are used in hair treatments in clinic and home care products of the same. Um, so yeah, we, we like to put together kind of complete solutions that has all that growth factor exosome signaling, but then also has all the other classical actives that are really beneficial for the skin. Mm. Stephen, um, do you know if anyone's actually in Australia used these products via injecting? I know that we're not, we're not allowed to because they're, they're, they're not, they're not, they're, uh, human based and we're not allowed to human derived, not allowed to, but do, do you know, or, or Stephen in the States, have you seen the results of, of injecting the product? Uh, I have seen a few colleagues in America doing it, you know, it's almost a percutaneous yeah. injection using a needle that's 1.5, two millimeters just to get within the dermis. Uh, but in Australia, I have not, uh, heard of anyone doing it yet. I think this is, you know, NTRs in Australia is still fairly new, mm. fairly unknown compared to a lot of the other plant-based mm. uh, exosomes. So, you know, we, I'm, I'm sure, but, you know, I think, I think we need to be also be quite careful mm. because this is, this is not, uh, this is still being uh, proved for a topical thing, uh, particularly with the current guideline. I think we all need to be a little bit less gung-ho yep. and just see how this pans out. What results would you expect to see from the, in, in, the injectable version as opposed well, to the topical based? Well, I guess the delivery will be much better, isn't it? You're actually actually yep. delivering. You know, it's almost like I'm going to text you directly via text via via uh, Jake, mm-hmm. so that Jake can pass on a message to you. You yep. know, so I just think it's always been if we can get it to the target. Uh, um, target organ, I think the result ought to be a lot more impressive. Yeah, I, it, it seems to be a, a sort of a technicality and, and of course we have to respect the, the laws, TGA, FDA, etc. Mm. But I think what Stephen is saying is you want the product where it needs to go, yeah. but it's only approved, at least here in Australia, for yeah. a topical yeah. um, application. But intuitively you're making microchannels to get it into the dermis anyway. Mm. So mm. logically... This yeah. would be very off-label, but you you could technically inject it. Yeah, I think that's what we're yeah. what, what we're sort of saying. Yeah, I mean, Ian, what what are you seeing? I mean, you've got different laws in the states. I'm not sure whether you're allowed to inject it in the states, but I know there's some human-derived products that that I've seen on on the US market. So, what have you seen from from a clinical perspective when you inject it as opposed to skin needle or microchannel it in? Yeah, so you know, addressing the regulatory side, there there are no exosomes in the world that are approved for injection, right? Um, so whether it's us, Europe, Canada, Australia, there, you know, none of the regulatory bodies have, have accepted an injectable exosome to this point. 
Um, I think there, there's going to be a pathway for that. And I actually think it's going to be in Europe first. And we're studying, we're studying it for Europe. Uh, the, the MDR, the new MDR annexes there are, have, have a little bit more of a straight path for that. Um, so, so we're investigating that. And I, I think, I think the, the appropriate way to do that is, uh, you know, with, with the right, IRBs and the the right science being studied in vitro and in vivo, you know, until we can get to a point where we can tick all the boxes uh, and, and really have a notifying body, a regulatory body do that. Now, of course, there, there are exosome products that, uh, you know, that I'm aware of in the States that have been advocating for, uh, for injection. And so, you know, there, for more than 10 years, there's, there's been people who have been injecting exosomes. Um, and there's, uh, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence out there that there's, there's benefit of that. I mean, you even mentioned, you know, Joe Rogan, uh, you know, talking about these things and he's had exosomes injected into his knee. Uh, actually, you know, my father has had, uh, exosomes injected into his knee as well. So there, there's lots of different applications that are being studied for medical uses as well as for aesthetic uses. But as of today, we can really only talk about topical yep. cosmetic uh, and what the what the outcomes are there. And the outcomes are really good. Uh, so that's why it definitely merits further study for other applications. Yeah, feels like this is this is just the beginning. Yeah, as. <laughs> Not funny, but when I went to AMWC Miami, which was last February, uh, talking to a lot of these companies producing exosomes, etc. Uh, not yours, I didn't meet yours in. And uh, one of the doctors was very proudly stating that he does IV exosomes, which I thought was very brave. And I asked him how 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 his insurance company feels about that, and then he he walked <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> so um, please don't do that. It's highly <laughs> off-label um, and s- stick to your own local regulation. Yeah. Um, Ian, I wanted to ask you, so we've mentioned growth factors. You even named some of them in your sort of preamble. But you know, how easy are these to preserve? And one of the criticisms that I've read, I don't know if it's true or not, is that you know, do these absorb into the skin properly in a topical? Um, what's their shelf life? Um, how easy are they to preserve? And and what do you have to do to what, what's the medium that they're actually in? What what chemicals are in in your skincare? So uh, th- the answer is that of course any any protein is going to degrade over time. Uh, and so we have a, a lot of complex uh, cosmetic chemistry and bioengineering in trying to extend the the life of these proteins so that they're still active and they're they're still having a, a benefit over the shelf life of two years. So that has to do with the lipid chemistry and how we encapsulate them. And it also has to do with how many we put in, and we know there's going to be a degradation curve, just like any active ingredient. You know, from from the day it goes in the bottle, it's starting to have less and less effect over time. But you want it to still have the benefit that you're conveying by the end of the shelf life. So th- that's mostly in the cosmetic chemistry. Uh, but then how, how does it actually get into the skin? Well, there, there's, there's a lot of you know, shepherding molecules that we can use to help get these proteins into the skin. And even honestly, our, our pores take, take in things all the time. You, know, you, can, you can put all kinds of transdermal patches on to infuse things even into the bloodstream. Uh, we just need to get these proteins into the skin, you know, just beyond the, the, the dermal epidermal junction. Um, and that can be done with, with shepherding uh, molecules. And that's all part of the cosmetic chemistry. Do you ever see non-responders to, to these treatments? And if so, is there any sort of particular patient profile or commonality between these people that just don't seem to get any benefit? The way I think about it is, you know, everyone's kind of pushing against their own inertia, right? And so if you're a smoker with hormonal issues, you have autoimmune issues going on, you've got a lot of inertia that you're pushing against, right? 
I think that in all cases, because these are natural biosignals and we're really just trying to restore the optimal, healthy, young human biosignal complex, we're always going to be moving someone towards healthy. Uh, but some people are, you know, they're, they're pretty far along the road and it's just going to take a lot, right? It's maybe going to take some lifestyle changes in addition to topical products. Uh, but someone who is kind of working with us and, you know, trying to have a generally healthy lifestyle, they're wearing their sunscreen, they're drinking their water, uh, they're exercising. If they're also then using good topical skincare that has biosignals in it, then they are going to have that optimal outcome. Um, I, I can't really say there's like one group that's more or less responsive, except I will say that people who are older, let's say over 30, uh, which is certainly going to be most of our patients, um, they, they are going to see more of a benefit because they're kind of farther along in the aging process. And so they, they really benefit more from these anti-aging proteins. Uh, you know, someone who's 25 years old, they just don't have the deficit. Uh, and so they don't have as much of the benefit from restoring those signals. Yeah. Stephen, in your clinic, um, I don't know if you guys have devised any protocols of sort of how many treatments you recommend for needling or radiofrequency needling, how many times you apply the exosomes, uh, and maybe give us an insight into sort of the, the business aspects, like what, what does it cost for the patient? For us, um, depends on the event. So normally we would actually ask for two sessions. Mm -hmm. And most it's interesting some patient after the two session will ask for the third mm. so in general two to three session is what we normally recommend for the patient to have um the best thing to actually do it is is for for those of you who've never done it is to actually do a bit of needling on yourself and try it you'll be amazed what the skin's going to look like and that's how i think we all at least in my clinic how we actually kind of see what happened and be quite excited about it and don't forget in my clinic we have a lot of personality and they're all skeptics like myself i remember those few years ago when i bought this machine straight from la all of them thought i have become sort of gone crazy and demented <laughs> and then after three months they were all convinced so you know i, I think i'm excited i'm an optimist and i actually see a great potential in this and we just need to get the next bit on having a much better control studies that should prove that it truly it is you know efficacy as what we have seen mm. do you actually put the serum on the skin and micro needle it in with, with a roller or do you do the micro needling first we'll do the, both. right we'll okay we we'll do both we we'll do the micro needling first and then we we apply it and roll it in. Right. So, so you mentioned earlier, you, you showed us the vial. So so in there, it looks like an anti-wrinkle sort of product with a freeze-dried thing at the bottom. So how do you turn that into a liquid? So it's just, it, well, think of it as your anti-wrinkle. You have your saline, and this happened to be HA. Ah, so you and put it in, oh, HA, right. Yeah, this is a diluent. You just actually mix it in and let you dilute it. It's very, very simple. Okay. Yeah. It's very, very simple. And, and this is a fine mill. And you can use the entire fire meal or you can use an even more concentrated form. Right, okay. Right. So Ian, why can't you have it pre-made? Why do you have to sort of make a little cocktail at the, at the bed? Well, exosomes are very delicate. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, the, these products that are room temperature that have been around for a long time, they're not exosome products because exosomes pop at room temperature if you just leave them out for a few hours. 
So this lyophilization process we go through, this freeze drying, actually creates a, a crystalline structure. And that crystalline structure keeps the exosomes from denaturing, keeps those, those little fat bubbles from falling apart. So that's why they need to be kept freeze-dried uh, until they're ready for use. So we, we take this hyaluronic acid, which has some nice properties on its own, and we use that to reconstitute, to liquefy the exosomes. And then you've got you know this, this liquid solution, whether it's 2 mLs or 5 mLs, however much you use to dilute. Um, and that's, that's good for a few hours. So, you know, once, once you've reliquified this, you want to use it within a few hours on the patient. Right. And does it need to be refrigerated off, uh, before you reconstitute it or shot, uh, not, not before. So, uh, so actually we, we've now done heat studies on this, um, and you know, it can survive transport across the world at fairly high temperatures. Um, the, once you've lyophilized this properly, properly, it's very, very stable at, at all temperatures. Um, so yeah. And then once you've reconstituted it, it's fine at room temperature for a few hours. Great. Um, this was actually another question from Stephen Land, one of our um, patrons in the UK. Um, he says the theory behind exosomes seems sound, but the research is potentially lacking. So do you guys have clinical studies, papers, anything that you can provide us that we can sort of distribute amongst our Patreon community? Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh, a white paper on our exosomes that's fairly comprehensive. Um, so all the proteonomic studies, we have bryo, TEM, uh, electromicroscopy, we have functional studies, uh, as, as well as case studies. Now, if you're looking for the, the full clinical study, uh, you know, with a high end and all the statistics done behind it, that's actually in progress. So um, th these products are fairly new. Um, and they're actually even still in development, you know, we're, we're already on version two of this. Mm. Um, so for that reason, we, we needed to get to the point where we, we had enough, let's say, market experience. And we, we, we kind of knew that, okay, this was the final version before we start doing those more expensive, you know, very expensive yeah. uh, clinical studies that are going to be published and whatnot. Um, but till now, we've got great case studies. We've got, again, thousands of practices that have already used these on hundreds of thousands of patients now. Um, and so we can provide you with all those case studies as well as the uh, in vitro work and and all of the scientific functional analysis. Yeah. A um, couple of business questions for you, uh, Ian. I know uh, Stephen said he's not familiar with, with prices, but I, I guess in terms of what you recommend in terms of uh, retail price and, and what it costs, what are the margins looking at? Because you know a lot of the questions that come up um, with practitioners is how much is it going to cost? How long is it going to take me to do? Um, how does this compare to other treatments I might be able to provide in my clinic? So there, there is a commercial element to this as well. So can you, can you sort of shed some light on, on, on the commercials on this? As you know, it really depends a lot on, on where you're at in the market, yep. what city you're in, sure. uh, you know, what demographic your, your, uh, practice is targeting, but let's just say somewhere in the 500 to thousand dollar range this is, is US probably going to be, you know, a, a single, uh, that would be Australia. Okay, sorry. Yep, yep. Um, so, so, so somewhere in that range, let's say 500 to a thousand per treatment. Um, that that's going to, you know, really vary a lot depending on what kind of treatment are you using standard microneedling RF, but yep. let's just say that's, that's probably like a typical range. Um, and the, the nice thing about this though, is simplicity and time. So let's think about PRP where you've got to draw yep. blood, spin blood, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to use that kit and then, and mm -hmm. then deliver it. This really is, you know, you, you draw up the diluent, you put it in the exosome, you shake it and it's ready to use, right? So we, we've taken, uh, you know, all, all that work of getting these youthful biosignals in exosomal form, that kind of digital, highly potent form. Um, and it, it only takes a minute really to, to prepare the product. 
Well, we should have actually asked the question, how, how do you sort of contrast PRP versus exosomes? Like, do you, in layman's terms, are exosomes PRP on steroids, but obviously from a different source, or are, are they just different? And can you would you recommend both, or, or do you think that yours is superior? They are different. I mean, you know, PRP is a technology that's been around for, for a very long time. Um, and it is certainly part of the, let's say, the bread and butter mix uh, for a lot of practices doing regenerative treatments, right? This is kind of the OG regenerative treatment, PRP. Now, the way I think about it is PRP is only as good as the signals that are already inside of your patient, right? So uh, wh- whatever's going on in that patient, whatever they had for lunch, that's going to come out in the signals that you're concentrating. Now, I, I think there are some positive applications, but in general, I would rather know what those signals are going to be. I'd rather have them from a consistent source, the bone marrow stem cell, where I can characterize them. And it's always going to be consistent. PRP is never going to be consistent because your patients are always going to be highly variable signals that you're, go- you're going to get from them. And then the process of making PRP also has some complexities and not all kits are, are made the same. Mm. So I just think, you know, if you want something that's more consistent and more ideal, something like a growth factor or an exosome is, is going to be that. Sorry, and I think I, I might have missed um, part of the, the answer there. So you're saying that the average practitioner or clinic in Australia would charge between 500 and 1,000 for the treatment. If we're looking at how long it takes to do microneedling, we're probably looking at, depending on the size of the needle, if you're using numbing cream or not, let's call it like maybe half an hour to an hour, potentially, depending on the patient, how many areas you're treating. So what do they actually buy the product for? I'm, tr- I'm trying to ascertain like what kind of margin are we looking at here for, for practitioners? So I, I actually don't know uh, the, the per vial price right, okay. in in Australia, but but I'll say this: your your margin. You know, let let's say if if you're charging five hundred dollars a treatment, your your margin could be five to ten x right. uh, on on the on the product. So okay. y- you're you're getting healthy margins for sure. Uh, you know, these while while they're exotic, uh, there's still plenty of room for profit margin for the practice. Awesome. And do you sell sort of a little box of exosomes? Like, how many do you get in a box? Uh, this is my box. Uh, it comes in uh, a box with three treatments. So you're getting three exosomes and three diluents. Um, and then the growth factors come in a box of five. So, you know, again, you're, you're kind of analog and digital. Uh, if you want to use growth factors, uh, that's going to be maybe for your more cost sensitive patient um, uh, or, you know, just someone who wants kind of an entry level. And then maybe they can upgrade to exosomes later. Yeah. And then the high potency stuff is going to be the exosomes. Right. It's exciting stuff, and you, you say the the synthetic is what six to twelve months down the pipeline, right? Yeah, so we call that biosomes, yep. uh, and so we have a, a, a exosome PhD who's been hard at work for a year developing uh, this nanotechnology to be able to deliver room temperature exosomes in in solution for home care. Right. Well, uh, I think we might have to have another discussion in six to 12 months time. I'm sure Stephen's going to love to tell us all about the uh, synthetic version and what he can do with with injecting it. So I think there could be room to, you know, do a series of these discussions because I think there's going to be some amazing breakthroughs and and sort of advancements in how we're delivering these. So I'm I'm excited, Jack. It is exciting. I'm just looking through the listener questions. I did certainly one more. Um, Applications for hair loss. We did touch on it. You said it might be more tricky, but what, what are your thoughts and recommendations? Yeah, so we've we've actually had a product uh, called Antioch Hair Solution for a number of years. We have separate studies on that and white papers. Um, it, it's a whole different area of technology. We do WNT signaling, uh, which I'm, I'm sure all of your hair folks, uh, their ears will light up with that. 
Um, but we, we also are very close to launching a hair exosome. So this is hair growth factors. Uh, the hair exosome will be coming out in the next couple of months. And that has a whole new layer of technology and kind of added signal and power. Uh, so, so yeah, you, you absolutely can use growth factors to, uh, be a part of, uh, hair treatment and exosomes are also a very promising part of that. Well, I was going to say, let's, let's get David signed up immediately. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what does the protocol look like? Is it sort of a, a stamping gun to make it more tolerable? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, there, there's various ways to do the treatment. Um, but, you know, again, TRP is kind of the OG here. Uh, and so we can use these products in, in similar ways. Stamping, uh, needling is, is often a modality that's used uh, as, as part of a hair growth regimen. Fantastic. Uh, I'm pretty sure we've answered all the questions. I'll just give a shout out to the people who uh, sent the questions. We had Jamie Urales, Leslie Scott, Iman Joshi, Dr. Rupali Kashyap, and uh, I think that's everyone. Oh, look, well, Dr. Land, you already mentioned him. And Dr. Land, yes, yeah. of course. Um, so any advice on practitioners how to market these treatments? I mean, of course, look at your own, uh, I guess, protocols and regulations of, of what's allowable and what's on label, etc. But how do you suggest a clinic sort of introduces this and and what 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 are sort of the buzzword terms that patients would understand i think that regenerative is is a good way to describe these uh these treatments you know we're 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 looking to regenerate to bring back the youthfulness that we lose over time so that's that's my favorite term when we're talking about what you know what these things are um you know you can talk about regenerative growth factor stem cell um, you know, some of those things start to, to get you maybe into trouble, depending on what the TGA likes and doesn't like in terms of technology descriptions. Mm. But I, I like regenerative. Dr. Liu, what do you think? Well, we specifically have not advertised or marketed because of the guideline is still very gray. Uh, being a plastic surgeon, we were the first group to be targeted uh, or not targeted, you know, Affected <laughs> and watched uh, by the the regulatory body, so we've been very, very, very strict on not saying anything. I mean, are we allowed to use the word exosome? I'm not sure. I don't probably not because we can't technically. Uh, Jake, you probably know this. I don't think we're allowed to actually talk about PRP, are we? Yeah, it's... because we cannot talk about the content of what we're using. Yeah, it falls into a funny gray era PRP, and I, right. I, I don't want to misquote so, that. So at the moment, you know, we certainly can't talk about stem cell therapy, which is a, a buzzword that audience or the general public will understand. It's a sexy term. So at the moment, we have not. So it's just mainly in-house, word of mouth, and all this stuff. Mm. So I think, you know, this is a this is a very, very dangerous period for us. That we <laughs> all really, you know, yeah. quite... Um, sort of concern yeah I'm, I'm sort of curious to to know what nikki and the team sort of say oh hey we're going to do your needling today but we've also got mm. this exosome no, stuff I mean, in-house <laughs> i think in-house we can actually use the word right because it's, you you're not advertising it to the public yes right just that like in-house you can actually talk to the patient yeah okay. that we are using this thing which is you know derived from the bone marrow and you know the safety and all this stuff and this is what we're going to use mm. okay fair did you have any questions that you wanted to Ask Ian, Stephen, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you had a few of your own questions. I know there was a few questions you asked during the chat. Is anything you wanted to sort of query before no, we sort I of wrap Ian things up? I covered it very, very well. And I'm just quite excited about the, the you know, six months that we'll be able to get the synthetic 
in biozone. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm more interested, you know, not for this audience, the detailed technicality on how you guys actually create that big. Yeah, well, maybe we'll do an IA trip to Irvine, California. I was actually there last year. I should have come, but I didn't know about you guys then. You guys are more than welcome. That'd be fantastic. Stephen, I've got one last question for you. Do you think we're only scratching the surface of non-surgical? Oh, yeah. Like, Where are we going in the next 10 years? Oh, I think there will be more refinement. I think, as I said in the beginning, maybe some clever people who actually perhaps even do some control prospective studies. Yeah. You know, uh, on on all these individuals, maybe even the spit face, yeah. if that's at all possible. I think I've shared this on the podcast once before. I don't know if you can see these scars on the inside <laughs> of my arm. I've got a little triangle with three dots here. And <laughs> you're abducted here by on aliens. This side. <laughs> well, nearly. When I was a poor medical student in Manchester, UK, um, I volunteered. There was a, a biotech lab right next door to the medical school, and they were looking for guinea pigs to make scars on and then one side was treated with some magic concoction and the other side was you know the, the control and i couldn't notice any difference but uh, you know i got paid as a poor medical student to fund my fund my study so well, i don't want to know i don't want to know what else you do Ian, if you're looking for some so guinea pigs again we'll fly over and you can cut us open and see what happens with the scars all right that's a deal fantastic well guys thank you so much i really enjoyed that chat and I've probably got lots more questions we do have an offer um from the anti-age team who are here in australia so they will be at cosmeticon uh which is early march here in double bay in sydney and for the first 50 people who go to their booth and quote that you listen to this podcast you'll get 50 percent off one of their kits Ooh. so exciting so go and check it out go and see diana sestan from the anti-age team fantastic Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Dr. Lou. Stephen, thank you for coming on and telling us all about your product. It's, ex it's an exciting part of the industry. And I think, as you said, we're only, we're only at the beginning. Yeah. And we'll, we'll obviously put the details of Antiage at the bottom. If you, if you can't go to Cosmeticon, you can just contact them directly. Lovely. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, gents. Have a great day. And hopefully we see you in person soon. Bye-bye. Cheers. Have a good one. For our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside Aesthetics. Join our Patreon for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon for more information.